Thank you guys for joining us again today here at Pursuit of Purpose. I'm Robbie. I'm Chuck. And today we have with us a very special guest. I'm going to let her introduce herself, tell us a little bit about herself and what she does. Well, thanks for having me today. My name is Gabrielle Blanco. I am the owner of Buxton Brewing Company in Nederland, Texas, with my partner and husband, Justin Buchanan Lopez. And we are currently building our second location in Beaumont, Texas. All right. Wow. wow. So you've got one. It's doing really well. And we're expanding. We are expanding. All right. Well, Gabby, if you don't mind me calling you Gabby, is that okay? Yes, goes by Gabby for me. So where are you from originally? So I was born in Miami, Florida, okay. and I grew up in Miami, Cooper City, Fort Lauderdale area, Pembroke Pines, kind of all of South Florida. And then I moved to Texas when I was about 15 years old. I uh, did a little bit of high school here and college and everything. So half my life I've been here. So what brought you here? Was there a story behind that? Uh, my mom is originally from Port Arthur. Oh. Uh, my dad's from Venezuela. So wow. Uh, my mom's an only child. As her parents were aging, it was kind of always the goal to get back to being able to take care of her parents and everything. My sister's four years older than me. So whenever she was looking at colleges, we were pretty much only considering Texas colleges so that we knew that the family could all eventually move to Texas and be all together there. Of course, this is 2008 in South Florida. Where did the bubble burst? <laughs> in 2008 in South Florida. So it was a little bit more challenging for my father to come out here at the same time as us. And it was a progress to get all four of us out here at the same time. But yeah, that was the main reason for moving back over here was to take care of my grandparents. All right. So you said four of you. My mom, dad, sister, and myself. Sister. Mm -hmm. Is your sister younger or older? Four years older than me. Four years yes, older. The You're the baby. the baby. So she's the trailblazer. And you get the benefit of her going ahead. And I mean, people argue that, you know, the second child's the fearless one. <laughs> Just a lot more aggressive about things. So but my sister is the sweetheart. Oh, okay. you know, never did a thing wrong in her life. Oh, right. <laughs> it's more problematic. So, you know. <laughs> Y'all have a good relationship? Yes. That's good. Does she she still live here yeah. uh, nearby? Okay, that's good. So, um how are are your parents still with us? Mm -hmm. Still alive? Everything's good. Uh, what do they think about your your restaurant brewing company oh, venture? It's, it's great. After maybe about two years after I opened that Nederland location, um, the building next door touching us came for sale, uh -huh. and that's actually the building that they purchased to move their business into. So my mom and sister together own a boutique and a salon called wow. Boston. Boston Avenue is the, the downtown historic street in Nederland, Texas. Um, we, you know, we're a Dutch settlement there. So that's where we right. have the windmill and the little wooden shoes, uh, yeah. museum and all of that. So they bought the building next door. So we are literally sharing walls now. Blonde so on Boston. That's blonde. a really key. Blonde. Yeah, oh, blonde. Yeah. Ah, that, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Yes. Okay. The blonde one makes sense. for. I, I like both of them. Yeah. yeah. It could work. My mom is blonde, so that would work. <laughs> well, what was discipline like in your home growing up? Uh, um. Well... We are, all of us, well, I guess besides my mother, but my father, my sister, and I did all of our education in Catholic school. Uh -huh. So Catholic school, especially Hispanic Catholic school, you know, in Venezuela, like my father was, he went to, he was in the Merchant Marines and went to Jesuit universities. Um, so it's, it's almost like the parents don't even have to <laughs> uh, establish their own discipline in the home because you are disciplined properly at school. We have our priests and I mean, we didn't have nuns. My father had nuns and stuff too, but like, I mean, it just kind of carried over, you know, it's quite strict with 
everything that's expected of you. Like if you were, if I don't even want to say falling behind in grades because getting a C in, you know, most schools are, is not falling behind, but when you only have 40 or 50 kids in your grade, getting a C is falling behind and then they will no longer have you in the school because they don't have all of these, you know, public funded assistance that can come in for the people that are falling behind wow. and give you that extra help that you need. So, I mean, the pressure is on you obviously from a very young age mm -hmm. that like, you know, not even make good grades. Like it was so competitive. Like not only did I have to make A's, I had to make hundreds. I had to make mm -hmm. perfect grades. You know, I never would have thought of that right. from private school. Right. I would have never yeah. thought of that. Ever, ever. Yeah. It was just the competitive nature of going to Catholic school in an area where everyone was super educated. So mm. you just, I mean, it was just instilled. Like, I mean, right. I mean, anyone having to say anything. So yeah, I guess the discipline mm. aspect kind of came from that too. And do you think that still is paying off today for oh you gosh. though? Yeah, Clearly. After going to business I'm so and, glad. I'm so yes. glad that I had that when I was growing yes. up because that was a very easy transition into kind of what I do now. Yeah. Where I'm, you have to be so intrinsically motivated. You can't have other people setting expectations for you when you're self-employed. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, so going back to dad a little bit, you, mm -hmm. you mentioned a little bit about this transition from moving from Florida to Texas mm -hmm. and it kind of, everybody kind of eventually trickled here, you know, like mom came and then you, the girls. And mm -hmm. uh, so what did dad do that? Would he, did he do the same thing here as there or did he have to yeah. change? So um, my parents, the longest that they've ever lived in one place is when they lived in South Florida in Miami and stuff. My father was a television producer for Univision, mm -hmm. Univision for, man, plus over 30 years, really. Oh, wow. Um, started in New Jersey. They moved to Southern California, Laguna Hills, then Miami whenever my mom was pregnant. And that's where I was born mm -hmm. in Miami. So that was the longest that they ever stayed in one place for those 15 years. Mm -hmm. Um but by that time, he was kind of ready to go off on his own and start his own production company and everything. We were choosing to move to Texas okay. before his retirement age. So, yeah, he's always been he's an Emmy Award winning tele television producer. Yeah, so, that's yeah. awesome. That is. He's, yeah, he has quite a name for himself. He's very inspiring. I always say top five coolest people I've ever met. But he's my dad. So. He's a cool one. You're a little biased. We'll get you to hook that up for Yes, it. yes. Bring that on with you. Mm -hmm. uh, that that's that's amazing. Yeah. So uh you you mentioned uh Catholic prep school. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh for you personally, was there any training past high school for you? Did you go into any particular academic field or any post-high school training? Yeah, so I went to uh, Nederland High School. I wanted to go to a public school just to kind of see what it was like for a year and a half. And um, whenever we had moved here, then um, are you all familiar with the TAL program? Yes. Yeah. I had a daughter that so, did it. Really? Yeah. Okay. She graduated with her associate's degree. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I found out about that. It's called Texas Academy of Leadership and Humanities. Um, you know, skipping pretty much... Or, you know, running conjunctively mm -hmm. your junior and senior year, mm -hmm. doing all of that, living on campus, all those things. So I applied for that, got in. So went there my junior year in 2009. Mm -hmm. So did that 2009 to 10, 10 to 11, and, you know, graduated from that 11. And then I went to Texas A&M after that. Mm -hmm. And then got my degree there. You didn't let it out when you said it. 
You held it the the whoop. <laughs> you said Texas A and M without the. Oh, okay. I wear my ring sometimes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. What is advantageous? You, you have uh, circles. You've fallen from the pure faith. My, I'm not going to say to UT, and though we oh, love UT, house divided, right? But I always would say, like, if you took UT out of the city of Austin, it doesn't have as much character as these crazy people at A&M do. And I thought there was something really endearing about that. And it is. I really just fell in love with how much people will believe Maroon, which I know. Yeah. 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 But we have a son who's an Aggie. Yes. And it's just like such a different thing. And I just thought it was so cute. Musical. Mm. And yeah, we were happy there. Good. And you, uh, Finished your bachelor's there? Is that what yes. I heard? So I did international communications and media and then ended up actually getting a double major in Spanish because I wanted to move to Spain for a little bit. Hmm. And but I wanted to do it on my own. Um it, with being in the international program, they will give you resources for it. But I always said if I wanted to do a study abroad, I didn't like these ones where they kind of just like held your hand and like they take you there and whatever. I was like, no, I want to like find my own apartment, find my own school, all of that. So I did that right before my senior year. Um, and took some classes at this university called Antonio de Nebrija in Madrid. So I lived in Madrid for about four months. Okay. Um, so I did that. But then you have to come back and do one more semester at A&M to get like an A&M degree. So transferred my hours from there back over um, and graduated in December of 2013. So, yes, we've had a foreign exchange student on here mm -hmm. from Italy. Okay. And you're kind of a, the other way. Yeah. So what was that like? Did they accept you there? Did they treat you like, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, ethnically ambiguous. So like, they can't, you know, fully tell. <laughs> we can't tell by looking at you. Dad's side of the family, actually, like their bloodline is from the Canary right. Islands, right off of the coast of Spain. So, you know, I am Spanish. Um, I was working really, really hard to learn Spanish as an adult. You know, it's not that simple. Of course, I understood so much of it. It being in my home, but I never had to speak it back. Like I was right. never absolutely forced to speak. You didn't it back. think in Spanish. I didn't think in Spanish and everything. So I really realized once I got to college, like, wait, this is a skill I really need to learn and yeah. learn grammatically and do all that. So it was it was tough, but yeah, everyone's great. I mean, it's the capital of Spain too, so there's so many you know people that are not ethnically Spanish that are living there. So it was wonderful. That's really cool. So what were you able to experience when you were there other than on campus? I mean, were you able to get into the, I mean, the, the Sp well, Spain life a little oh, bit? Yeah, I mean, once you're in, well, pretty much anywhere in Europe, how cheap it is to get to any other country. But I mean, Spain itself being so large, like every weekend, you know, 20 euro, you can get on a round trip bus ticket or train ticket. You know, I did the running of the bulls. I did what? Well, Pamplona. Yeah, so, so the San Fermin Festival happened to be happening and this is this is a quick fast crazy story but please share. so yeah. um i was living in a building where this guy would pretty much rent out closets to people for like 12 euro a week but like wh what am i complaining about we all should have restroom it was like 16 people that would live in one apartment wow oh, um but you know it's cheap it was awesome um I had made a new friend that week at school, which to this day is still one of my very best friends in my wedding. I was in her wedding. Like Aww. I visit her all the time. She lives in Georgia, but her name is Diana. I had just met her and there was these guys from Glasgow that lived above us. And they were like, hey, meet at the um, stadium downtown and it's 24 euro and it's a round trip bus ticket. And they give you a bottle of liquor with it. I don't know. 
Wow. Ticket and a bottle of liquor to bring you to San Fermin and back. Now that's hospitality. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, that's the, the border of France and back where the running of the bulls is. So I'm like, oh, cool. It's a four hour drive. So I meet there. You know, it's like 8 a.m. But like, I don't, you know, we don't have like cell phones and stuff that work over there. Diana doesn't show up. So it's me and all these dudes from Glasgow. <laughs> and I'm like, whatever. I mean, I'm getting on this bus. And, you know, I made some other friends, too. So they drive us there. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, we're going to see the village and stuff. There's like 200 people that live there during the year. And then, you know, we'll get back on the bus and drive home. And I'm the only one who, like, really understands Spanish on that bus. Because it's all these, like, students and other things from all these other countries. These Glasgow. They have no idea. what. So then they make an announcement. So we get there at 9 a.m. Because we have to leave at 5 a.m. to get on this bus. Wow. Get there at nine. They make the announcement. They're like, meet here. They're like, we're dropping you off here. Meet here. Same time tomorrow. And I'm like, tomorrow, like at 9 a.m. Like, there's no hotels in this city. There's no nothing in the city. I'm like, all right, here we go. Wow. So that next 24 hours was one of the. What an adventure. But the bulls don't run until the next morning at 7 a.m. So you're exhausted by the time they're. Yeah, you're just trying to stay alive, honestly, at this point. And these people are. And it was the first day of the festival. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. That's next level stuff right there. Some amazing experiences going over there, you know, just kind of missing. Holy moly. So, no, it was was a fun, fun time. I mean, you are just trips like that. You're making it up on the fly. You know, like, where am I going to like taking her like napping in a field, like holding her bags? Because, like, they're just going to rob you. Right, (laughs) right. People like the group staying awake and watching everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah my word. <laughs> I'm beyond impressed at your bravery and everything. Like you, here you were, but yeah. here you are by yourself, little American girl yeah. out there on her own. Yes. And you did it. You did all of it. That's crazy. Yeah, it it's awesome. Yeah. Though, those yeah. memories. I can see the, later. the sparkle in your face when you talk about it. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm sure it yeah. didn't feel that way in the moment, but still, there you, you are. For a second, you're like, 24 yeah. hours. But then, like, once yeah. it's then you're like, well, what am I going to do? I don't yeah. have money. I don't, like, there, uh, even if I did have money, there's no hotels to stay at. Right. It's like a tiny, tiny village. Like, right. I mean, people are all over the world just jam-packed through the street. Oh, almost not. Yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's Great. I love it. So, yeah. So, so back to the States, uh, you finished that semester at A&M. Then what? Then I graduated. And at that point, everyone was living, everyone in my family, mom, dad, sister, were living in Nederland. So I was like, finally, I want to move back to where they are. So I moved back here. And um, even with all my degrees, even with all my experience, so much trouble finding a job during that time. You know, it's during what they were calling like hiring freezes and all of that 2013 and mm. it was tough even even with what i felt that i had to offer so i went back which is like this you know storyline of my life back into hospitality so i went back to working for a greek family the megas family that owns some properties and um the scooter restaurant down there yeah. and stuff. so i went back to like bartending assistant managing different things for them just in the meantime i'm like you know what no pressure let me just keep making money, save my money. Me and my sister got a little townhouse together and um, just kind of worked that for a while until I got a job offer as a paralegal. And I was like, well, let me get into that. That's always interested me. So um, I worked as a paralegal for a while too. And I loved that. But the attorney that I was working for was running for judge. And like, we knew he was going to get it. So we were kind of like, you know, 
looking at the other options and I had my other options from other law firms, but you know, they kind of get like skeezier and skeezier of the things that were kind of like asking me to turn my back to. And I didn't really like that. And then he did get elected. So, you know, I worked for a couple more months and once I knew like he was about to take office, um, randomly Beaumont ISD calls me and they were like, Hey, we'll bypass all of your teaching certifications because you have more than 12 hours of 300 or 400 level Spanish classes that I took in Spain. Uh, Do you want to teach elective Spanish at middle school? I'm like, why not? So then I just took a teaching job. (laughs) Wow. Beaumont. um, Yeah. I taught for two years. (laughs) Okay. But it was, you know, it was fun. I really liked that age. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. elective. Like, these kids just need to breathe sometimes. This is right when all this stuff had happened in Beaumont ISD. They call it the sinking ship, mm-hmm. you know, when all the embezzling mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just kind of being there for those kids at that time was all they really needed. Yeah. Like, and so I enjoyed it, but it was very stressful. And then finally, after that, I was like, okay, it's time to follow. What I always wanted to do was like have a salon, do hair, like do like, you know, cosmetology. So at that point, uh, me and my husband had started flipping houses while we were living in them. And um, this is kind of like where everything turned in our lives. So he always worked in logistics uh, with the refineries. So okay. we always had these great jobs right after yeah. school. Like he went to school for management information systems, but got right on in the plants very early on. These really nice white collar jobs. Hmm. Always treated us great, but like, we, we had very different examples of like what it looks like to like work your passion. You know, he had parents that were very young and they got a job in the plant and his mom was a nurse. I had parents who had me, my dad was 40 and my mom was older. And, you know, I've only seen them follow their passions. And I was so perturbed that like, you know, the last six years we're just like working these jobs that we don't like. And we're just miserable. And like, why do we hate our job? Like life shouldn't be like this. Then I had a death very close in the family that spring when I was teaching. And I came home from that funeral i was like that's enough this is the last time that we're ever going to sit here and question anything about like being happy because i remember i was at my uncle's funeral and the people that showed up to that and the way that they could speak about him and the way that he had like changed their life and i was like nobody would say that about me in these jobs that i was doing Mm. and he was in education he was a tenured professor up at marshall university Mm. like the we are marshall yes yeah so the way that that campus turned around and the way that people could speak about like him living his dream and doing all that. I was like, nobody would say that about me and Justin. Like they, they would never think that. So at that point I was like, I'm resigning. I'm going to cosmetology school. I don't care what it costs, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to open a salon and watch. And what do you want to do? And we always had the same interest in, well, I always did hospitality, but we would make wine together. We'd make beer together. He had been doing that since he was 18. At this point, I think he's 27 or so. And we were like, let's start in the business way. Let's open a brewery. Let's open a brewery and a restaurant. So that, so from that point forward, it took three years to build the business plan. Um, I went to cosmetology school. I had, by the time I had graduated, I had a full clientele within like three months. I opened up my own salon within three months. Wow. Then the salon with the boutique with my mom and sister while I was still building, building Buxton. And I did that up until maybe like three years ago when, you know, Buxton, the brewery just got too big. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of, you know, the the long short of how, you know, all these careers have kind of led us into this. Well, you skipped a very important part that I want to ask about. What portion? So somewhere between Madrid and 
Buxton, mm-hmm. there was this guy named Justin. Yeah. And I don't know where you guys discovered each other or how. Mm-hmm. And I would love to hear that. So I went to college at the Tal program. So, you know, you go at 16. Yeah. So actually, I didn't realize I needed to ask my administrators this, but I went and tried out for the cheerleading squad at Lamar University because I was like, that sounds like so much fun. But I was 16. Then I made it. Oh. And um, then the administrators were pissed because they were like, why did you think that you could just go do? I was like, why didn't I think I could? Why wouldn't you? you always say that you wanted to be involved in the university and stuff. And I just think. I don't think that they thought like, because then there there's some NCAA rules too when we were yeah. like traveling because I was so young. And I was like, but why? People can graduate early. And so anyway, they let me go with it. And Good. yeah, so I was on the cheerleading squad and I was at a party my like junior year. And, you know, a girl on my squad, it was her birthday party. And I met Justin there. Uh, her name was Destiny. So she wanted the party to be a D theme. Everyone had to dress as something that started with a D. And I dressed as a Dixie cup and Justin dressed as a doormat. And that's how we met. But I was so young, he, you know, and then he realized, you know, we were like talking to this party and stuff. And like, they're so overprotective of me because everyone knows that I'm younger than everybody. Good baby. Everyone's yeah. very, you know, safe around everything. And, you know, this guy's talking to me. We have all these mutual friends of like people that I know through other people. Um, and then he like finds out I'm 16. He's like, Never mind. Done. So then right. we kind of just had mutual friends until I was a little older. And then, you know, we reconnected, obviously, once I had, like, gone off to A&M and then, you know, talked again during then and started dating. But, yeah, I mean, I've known Justin over half my life now. That's awesome. I met him at that party. <laughs> 16. He's been a doormat the whole been time. Been too. And he <laughs> forgot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, that's, I did not yeah. know that. Is a, so that's how we met. Got and you. Yes, yes, we had dated my senior year or my last year at A&M. Right. And then whenever I wanted to move to Spain, he broke up with me. And I was like, why? I just want to move to Spain for a little bit. He's like, you can't just move to Spain. Like, I have a job. Like, who does that? I'm like, yeah. can't you come visit me? He's like, it's not like that. Like, you can't just. So he broke up with me for a little bit. And then whenever I came back, to go back. To can't be your long distance doormat. It doesn't right. work that way. Right. That way. I love the the part about uh, about pushing the limits of the, is it the towel program? Yeah. It's like, okay, you guys create this whole program, which is supposed to be college yeah. immersion. Yeah. Well, what do you think we're going to do other than go to frat? parties where they're, where they're both, okay yeah. i get that but campus life yeah yeah so i love it that kind of so push their the, whole the philosophy super super close there it was dr gagne at the time she had been with you know kelly and all these other things and i had actually come out of retirement to kind of fix up the program a couple of years before mm-hmm. i got there and um her and i became very close because she was like you're the first student that we've ever had that you know, really has tried to go out for these more like social sides of the university, you know, put our money where our mouth is. We say that you want to be a part of the university, then don't like condemn me for absolutely going out and doing it. It really was not a thought in my mind of like, oh, ask forgiveness later. I just really thought like, why couldn't I do this? Correct. Yeah. Philosophically, I thought that's what the program was for. You thought it's what they expected of you. Yeah. Why not join any other student thing? I never thought about my age. You have to put all your information. You have an L number, you know, the Loire student number had everything like normal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that was a really cool year to be there. So the first year, you know, it was just the cheerleading squad. Then the next year is when they brought football back. Mm-hmm. So then the umbrella that was called like spirit team got to split. You chose dance or cheer. So, um, you know, two separate teams and I chose yeah. dance. 
And, you know, I was a lieutenant on the dance team when I was 17, 18 years old. You know, all these people that are way older than me. And yes. like, it was, I mean, it was such a cool experience to be there that like first year that football came back. I'm just getting this through. image of trendsetting Gabby here. Yeah. Like, oh, like I'm, I'm like the first person. You know, every now and then you meet these people who go through things like that and they are the first and people are looking around like, well, we never thought about that. And so there you go. Because I wasn't thinking either. No, I was I'm, thought, I'm, like, oh, I'm technically in high school, but I'm yeah. doing all these things. I love it. I love it. So. Uh, we decided to do uh, the brewery. Yes. Okay. Uh, in Buxton. Now that's mm-hmm. that's not a common name, and I know there's a little no. story as yeah. to how that so, came to be. Yeah. The easiest way to get like a trademark or copyright or anything is obviously on things that don't exist already, mm-hmm. and you also can't get them on last names or like geographical areas. So, um, creating a word was pretty important to me in finding a name for the brewery. Um, two syllables. So Justin's last name is Buchanan Lopez. It's hyphenated. Mm. Buchanan side of his family, super, super evolved. Uh, that's his mom's side. Raising him and his uh, grandfather, his name was, everyone called him Buck. You know, everyone's last name is Buchanan. So they had six sons too. All the six sons are also Buck. But, you know, he was Papa Buck. Just a huge part of raising him. Amazing man. And Justin's name is Justin. So I put Buck and Stin together because that's a fake word. So that if you get a trademark on it, and it kind of, you know, rolled because like when you see it written, people think like buckskin and stuff. And then they realize, oh, wait, it's a little bit different. And then um, with our logo, it's, um, you know, pug with antlers and stuff. We had a pug at the time. Nancy uh, was the pug. That's, you know, the whole picture of everything. This one right here with. Um, oh, that's cute. And everything. So then when, when you get to the rebuttal round of trademarking, um, it, because there is a last name, B-U-X-T-O-N. That phonetically right. sounds like Buxton. Mm. So we had to then argue, well, you know, it's Southeast Texas. We're just big hunters down here. No buck like a deer. That's why we put those antlers on there. <laughs> so yes. Argue with the. Yes. The That's perfect. The trademark. So it worked out and in the, our favor. And then it worked. Yeah. There you go. In my life, nor has Justin. So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it worked yes. out. And I love it that the two of y'all uh, are together. Is there anybody else in the family that's involved with y'all's business? Or are y'all pretty much the only family? The rest are employees. Yeah, we're the only owners. We have no investors, nothing, 100% okay. Okay. all right. So when it comes to, uh, or came to uh, deciding uh, on uh, brewing, so obviously, you know, if, if folks are, are, are um, familiar with, with those particular things, I mean, there's all kind of angles you can go. I mean, with just flavors and different ales and different things like that. Uh, did you guys start out with any like like some basics that exploded from there? Is there is there a story I mean, behind like, how it developed? We can go into so quickly like how we got into it. It was you know this joke that Justin and his friends would have when they're like 19 years old, you know, living at his mom's house, going to Lamar. Of we're too young to buy beer, let's make it. You know, get a little <laughs> kit. You know, make it in his closet. Terrible beer. They drank all of it. They didn't care. There was alcohol in it. You know, it's right. prison wine at that yeah. point, essentially. <laughs> then uh, whenever he bought his first house, right when he graduated, you know, he built this really nice bar in the back, got way more into the like science of it because, you know, they always say with brewing, oh, it's art and it's science. No, it's not. It's all science. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. 100% science. So he got way more focused on the science of it. Started making some good beers then, got a lot more equipment. Um, and then, you know, Life gets busy. Once we st- once we got engaged and got married and we started flipping that house to save up some money to get to the next house to flip that one, too. And when you're flipping a house, when you're living in it, it's pretty exhausting. Yeah. You, know, you kind of 
bring your living down to one room at a time. Everything else is like a construction zone. So we kind of lost our passions there for a few years. Then uh, once we finished that house, moved into the next one when I was teaching, I was like, I want to get into making wine. I can use so much of your stuff that we've just packed away for years. And once that happened, our competitive nature is both. We're like, then he's like, well, I want to start brewing again. I'm like, cool, start brewing again. Let's do it. We, I start making wine. He starts brewing beer again. And that house was just like a brewery, essentially. It was awesome. We, you know, we just were running with stuff all One the time. So many different types of beers that, you know, we kind of developed for Buxton at that time that we didn't even know that we were doing. Oh. So, you know, all of this was going on behind the scenes whenever I did say earlier about, you know, that one death in the family that kind of resets the way that you think. Yeah. Um, we realized like this was a passion and we were good at it. And, you know, there's this brewery boom in the United States. And like, you know, we're looking at all these other breweries across the nation. We visit someone like, not too, this is kind of bad. Y'all are doing everything wrong and still succeeding. And we make good beer. <laughs> Yeah. And but in Texas licensing, you can't make both beer and wine. There's a better profit margin on beer. So, you know, I put my wine making aside and was mm-hmm. like, you know, we'll focus on beer. And that's when we started the the business plan just for that. So, yeah, we have, of course, like styles and yes. things, too, that we knew were drinkable. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, we say drinkable, but like drinkability like that. They have when it goes down easy. They want to drink more of it. Yeah. It's like what we in craft beer say is the drinkability of it. Okay. You never want to be just like, uh, it's palatable. Like, no, it's, <laughs> Whoa. yeah. Like we want to drinkable. have more of it. That's the language. Drinkable. drinkable. So, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, you tell us how it went, but I envision you guys, uh, like having your own little quasi lab, which is this house that you're living in. And you're like making notes as you go, like this is working. This was oh, not. Yes. Everything is. I mean, some of those early journals, like I always want to frame them one day. Why don't you? That house. that would be awesome. The second one, I'm going to, you know, I'll surprise Justin one day, put up some of those like early notes and everything. But yeah, put up I mean, some bad recipes so that if people want to steal it. They can, you know, we are, that's the <laughs> I'm kidding. We are like in this beautiful craft brewing community. Like it's not just this like nature of like sharing everything. It is like you go above and beyond to not only like give people your recipes, like you will provide them with ingredients. You'll do that's everything. That's awesome. It's this like camaraderie, this like sense of sharing. It's absolutely incredible. Like what we can do. I like, love that. You know, we had this amazing Pilsner not long ago. Bob's premium pills. Email the brewer, the head brewer and the owner, the brewery himself, literally sends us the whole recipe. This is how I do it. Because that's what we always say. Like, we can give you the whole recipe. We can tell you exactly what we do. But can you do it like I do it? Right. Can you, you know, 80% of this brewing is sanitation and cleaning and all of these tedious yeah. things. Are you going to sit there and watch it like I watch it? You're going to test it every day like I'm testing it? So, you know, you can give them the recipe. You can get you give them whatever you can't. You can lead a horse to water. can't make them drink. Yes. Kind yes. Of like so. Yeah, and maybe that's where a little bit of uh, that balance between uh, the the discipline and the art come in. Mm-hmm. The discipline of, like I said, hygiene and all yeah. these other things, and then the creativity side. Yeah, we don't so. keep anything. Yeah, at all. Yeah, that's really cool. Or beer, nothing. I mean, it's just not the nature of it. Right. Like, the there's there are too many interesting cities and areas that have like. 15 breweries within a two block radius. Atlanta is crazy. And whenever they one does well and are producing good product, everyone does well because people love a destination area for breweries and they yeah. all work together like that. So it's like the bigger love that we have for craft beer and food together, the better everyone does. So mm-hmm. like that's all we want. We just want more breweries that 
you know, produce awesome product. That is really cool. It's really cool. Yeah, I, lo- I love the community side of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you and I have known each other for a little bit. And I know that y'all, uh, y'all, here we go, Texas, <laughs> y'all have actually um, gone as far as not only to communicate with other uh, folks that are, you know, brewing across it, but you've actually traveled mm-hmm. and done like your own personal, you know, research. Yeah. And even back to Europe, I believe, right? Yeah. Maybe you can talk to our folks about that a little bit. Yeah. So, um, I mean, of course, like with other breweries in the United States, it's a lot easier to get out there. We do Craft Brewers Conference every year where you get to collab with other brewers. We are really good friends with a lot of breweries out of Houston that we can run ideas back and forth with. A lot of people that we just know online, too, you know, through the brewery forum on Reddit and different things like that. But um, as we're building out the second location this past springtime, we were really thinking like, you know, we need to make it back to Europe. We need to go back to Belgium, get back to like the roots of the kinds of beers that we like to make, German beers, but, you know, all over Germany, not just Munich that we've been to before. Let's go to these smaller areas. Um, all the reps, you know, these specialty malt reps, these hop companies, all of it, they would always say, you know, in passing, oh, if you ever find yourself in Bamberg, Germany, let us know if you ever do this. So I'm like, you know what? Let's test it. Let's email all of them and just see. Hey, what if I do find myself in Bamberg, Germany? Like, what could y'all do? And let me tell you, everyone came through. Everyone rolled out the Wow. We went to the European Brewers Conference. That was absolutely incredible. So we did that for three days in Prague. Um, got reacquainted with Czech beer because the last time we were in Prague was like in 2016. You know, we didn't know anything then, really. We thought we knew something. We thought we were appreciating it. Then we had no idea what we weren't appreciating about the beautiful history of Czech beer and all that they've created for us. And then we do that in the Czech Republic. We get to go to Pilsner Urkel that created Pilsner Urkel and, you know, go into their catacombs where they have all of the stuff and see their brewery, like do these hands-on tours um we go to bamberg germany where they created smoked malts we get to go into the factory with their malt master who can like pull a piece of grain and tell you which day of germination it's on like like one-on-one tours with all of these people just show us everything just it was absolutely incredible it really was we just did that in may and we were there for two weeks and we did nine countries wow weeks like it was insane but like you know you barely sleep you're just too excited and it was just absolutely incredible, like really getting fired up again about why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Well, I, I see something fascinating while we're sitting here listening to her. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I've, I've had the pleasure of, of visiting your place in Nederland. And when I go into a business of any kind, I'm always curious what makes them successful. And you've given me the answer while you spoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are passionate you are dedicated and completely like every part of you is going into this and every part of this is going into you. And that's really beautiful when somebody has the opportunity to immerse themselves into what they want to do. I'm very proud to see that y'all, y'all both of you together have made this. Yeah. So like it's almost spiritual for both of you. Like that's amazing. It's so exciting whenever I hear people say that because I love knowing that it's so obvious too. Because mm-hmm. it is. I mean, you meet all the workers there too. Like mm-hmm. 
everyone talks about we have no turnover we have the best crew and stuff and i'm like well that's why that's yeah, why right there yes. we have a waiting list you know we've never had to publicly hire we have a waiting list to join this crew because you gotta love this you gotta love this like we love it and if you don't then no no hard feelings just that's right. it's not the right place for you mm. That is amazing. That is. It sounds like uh, you talked just a little bit. Uh, we're going to get off of the brew a little bit mm-hmm. and on to some of the other things that you guys provide menu-wise, um, which is obviously the food. Which, yes. And we now know that there's a lot of people get drawn to your restaurant yes. because of the food. Uh, how did all that come about? So um, with the business plan, too, one of the biggest things was we were never going to open a brewery without food. Even no matter how small it had to be, I designed that kitchen off of a food truck. It's 8 foot by 16 foot long. And we put out over 200 pizzas a night on like a Friday and Saturday. Wow. Plus, you know, another 125 appetizers, desserts, everything on top of that. Um, You make it as efficient as possible. But if you want people to be able to enjoy your beverages for longer, you have to give them food. You don't need to do that business for them to go somewhere else or allow, you know, people always want to call them food trucks and stuff. And that's not consistent. You know, right. that's never a consistent thing. Also, we don't have a space for a food truck to even park or let them, you know, get waiter. I mean, uh, ASAP delivery there. And so it's just like, just do your own food. But a lot of people are scared of food. But since that was my background, I've been working in restaurants since I was 15. This was very simple for me, you know, to think about it. I do get that people are intimidated by it, but it was a no brainer. We are not going to open until we have our kitchen fully ready to go. So what goes better with beer than pizza? Pick one thing and be the best at it. If I was going to do burgers, I was going to pick just burgers and be the best at it. Mm. And so with the pizzas that we did, um, they're very different. They have like, they're, they're very high quality ingredients. They have a thousand different layers to it. There's a lot of like intricacies to our pizza to just make it a little different for the area and from day one, we opened with some of our like, you know, flagship pizzas that are still our bestsellers on our menu today. Mm-hmm. So there's never a time of Buxton without the pizza. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Pick one thing and be the best. At that, that is, yeah. I think that's, that's a, a beautiful tagline. philosophy. <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful philosophy. <laughs> that is. What sets you apart from other brewery food places? What, what sets you apart? I mean, I already kind of know, but I'd like to hear it in your words. There are so many other like inspiring brewery restaurant places too that I think have the same level of passion that Justin and I do but like our absolute life's work is what we're doing right now like that we're literally living the dream like how lucky are we that oh my gosh if I'm stressed for 15 minutes like yeah you got to quit your job and you get to work at a brewery every day like it's absolutely amazing yeah what you're saying is that the the brewery restaurant it's it represents your life yeah it is you you are it y'all are Y'all are combined I mean, it's, together. It's so much bigger than us now. Yeah. But it's filled with those people that also feel the exact same way about me. And, like, and speaking about those those people, like you said, not only have you been able to attain and retain, mm-hmm. and, and I want to hear more about that. And then there's people wait, just, you know, if, in a sense, petitioning to come on mm-hmm. board. So are there any things that you guys have learned and then uh, implemented to keep that passion in these folks? Because you know, we can get bogged down into the idea that it is a job, mm-hmm. but to keep a passion for a job, is there anything that, that you would say, well, I, I like to think I bring these things to them on the regular and that keeps it up? One of the most important things I think that can go across any business too, especially hospitality, if there's no ownership or managerial presence you will see them lose the light in their eye so quickly. They can be so gung-ho about the business 
when they first start because the money's good. You know, it's a new place. We know the tips are going to be great. But if there's no room for growth and they see that the owners or the managers there aren't really caring as much, why would they care anymore? Exactly. And it's so important for them to realize, especially in this really cool industry that we're in with craft beer, this is as big or as small as you want to take it. So I know that we've talked about before our state interviews that we do with like retention and everything, because I do check in with them all the time to just see like, you know, do you want to stay at Buxton? Let's talk about some of the other dreams and goals that you have. Like you want to get into the distribution side of it. Let me put you with Randy, my distribution manager Mm -hmm. that had 10 years of experience in a managerial role at a huge distribution company in this area. And I would always joke that one day he'd come work for me and he did. And Steve, my operations manager, who was a, one of my, the chef that I always followed and would go to her pairings. And I loved her. It's her husband who worked in management with the hospitals and with uh, St. E for like all these years. And he was in his fifties too. I always joke too. Hey, maybe one day he'll quit and work for me. And he did like these amazing steals that I've been able to make, but also they are so passionate about Buxton too. And it's like so contagious. Like now my kitchen manager, her name's Crystal Lundy, and she used to own this restaurant before the pandemic that I was absolutely obsessed with. I was always obsessed with her food and stuff too. And maybe one day she'll be available to come work for me and run my kitchen. And she did. And it's like all of this stuff that I've put into the universe for all these years that like Buxton is not just me. Of course, it was our passion, mine and Justin's, when we first started. But it's not even a question of like, are we going to get out of bed every day and like show up and be this animated about it? It's everyone else too. Like everyone else loves Buxton. Like this thing is so much bigger than us now. So much bigger than us. Like we have 27 people on right now with a list of like probably 100 that I would say are great fits. But, you know, we got to figure out like where we can fit everyone too. And everyone, you know, really at this point is pretty much planning on staying as long as they can. You know, some people, of course, are transitional and they're in school and everything for finance or very specific things. And what I tell them every time that we talk, like you use this as your jumping off point. Like you, you're in finance. Cool. Hey, these two people in our mug club, they own their own Edward Jones practice and he's a partner. Make sure you talk to him, shadow him. Like, oh, you want to go to school for this? Optometry. Cool. Go shadow him. And it has led to so many people over the years that, you know, jump off this point. And go into their big boy job or their big girl job. Mm-hmm. But what are they doing a month later? They're like, I miss Buxton. I wish I could go. <laughs> so they always come back for special events or yes. uh, charity events and, you know, come yeah. work. But like, yeah, once you're part of the like Buxton family, yeah. they always come back. What does that feel like to you to know that not only the folks that are with you and dedicated, but then you've also contributed to these other futures to these folks? Uh, what's yeah, that I like mean, for you feels, and Justin? It feels great. Yeah, it feels great. I mean, that's all we want. I mean, I know it could sound so like you're lying about it sometimes, but like I really just want what's best for them. Yeah. I don't want you to work for me if you have a dream to do something else. Me and Justin did that for so long right. and I can smell it a mile away. If you start coming to work one day and I'm like, you're not happy whether it's your relationship or something's going on at home or this isn't for you. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I only want you to be somewhere that you absolutely love. And if that's not Buxton, you know that there's 100 people that would like to be in your position. Mm. So let's talk about like what we can do to make this better. Yes. So and that is a consistent theme among a lot of our owner operators yeah. that come in. And if, Caring if, about your employees. It's <laughs> about people. 
It's yeah, caring, about, caring people. about people. I mean, yes, it's about, you know, the product and the service. That's about the people. Yeah. Because the people really what, are what make it. That's all it is. Yes. Yeah. So it sounds like Buxton's getting ready to nearly double that size of folks uh, oh, yeah. with a new yeah, location. Definitely at the new location. Yeah. We'll have. Will you keep both yeah. or will you move to one or how will that work? Me. Yeah, well, the uh, would there be two locations? Oh, yes. Okay. So, Nederland's just going to get, you know, more attention. We're going to, you know, the whole back portion of it mm -hmm. where we have the brewery that, you know, you can see everything. Mm -hmm. um, we'll sell all of that, mm -hmm. you know, all as one good turnkey operation for a brewery that needs a good seven-barrel system and all the fermenters. Mm -hmm. Probably tear down that grain room, um, expand the kitchen a little bit, give them some dry storage and some space that they desperately need. <laughs> Uh, build our, our office back. We used to have an office. We had to tear it down to put more tanks. <laughs> but um, expand that seating in there. Mm -hmm. um, that'll kind of be the original Buxton. I would say like if Beaumont is the production area and the you know big Buxton, that'll be like Buxton Express mm -hmm. because it is in that old historical building. It's so long, you know, mm -hmm. so like 25 foot across, but 125 foot deep. So oh, wow. really mm -hmm. long, deep rectangle but yeah we'll always have that as like our satellite tap room yeah and continue serving the best food and beer that we can out of there as well so you're just going to do a, a a whole new construction of tank system yes in Boma. wow yeah. so nothing so, will move it, no. this is all brand new. all brand new wow. yeah it's already it's already in there we commissioned that a couple of years ago mm -hmm. um we had a seven barrel system at our original location we have a 20 barrel system in Beaumont now. Almost three yeah. times as much. Oh, and that's just the brewing system. Yeah. So we have we have to brew twice to fill up every tank that we currently have. So we have 14 and 15 barrel fermenters. At our new location, we have 40 and 60 barrel fermenters. Oh, wow. So our largest right now is 15. Our largest in Beaumont is 60. So wow. we are really, so we'll be brewing, you know, three times to fill that one in a 20 barrel yes. brew house. Yes. So and we have a lot more capacity. And you do all your own canning and things on site? Yep, we do that all on site, which much nicer canning because the one that we have here is rough. But, <laughs> you know, growth has been painful in our tiny, tiny space. So, yeah, yeah. yeah we're doing it right this time. Mother of necessity. I love it. <laughs> we, we grew organically just you faster than we thought. Can you imagine, or, or did you ever imagine, in your traveling days to Madrid and all that kind of stuff, and then coming back and, and you and Justin being together and everything, did you ever imagine that you'd have this the way it is? Did you ever imagine that you would be a hub of a community and no. and all these seeds of life just being you cast hope off? for that. You always hope for that. But then like once... You're kind of on that journey of building that business plan and we were both so focused on it you just hope it's the ultimate you know if you build it they will come <laughs> that you just keep reminding yourself of because you know you've really the the gambling of your life's savings on it and everything that you have to your name is scary but we were so young and we didn't have kids we had nothing you know we're just flipping these houses we both had jobs that we hated so we we're like okay so we can gamble it all lose it all and have to work for the rest of our lives or we can gamble it all and it pay off mm -hmm. and we can quit our jobs and get to do mm -hmm. that for the rest of our lives so i was like okay so either way we'd have to continue doing what we're doing right now which was working for the rest of our lives so that's the worst case scenario it, yeah it was the worst case scenario still yeah. no loss yeah because we, we weren't losing our skills we weren't losing our jobs we were doing this all on the side mm -hmm. we went sva funding because we were private you know private equity just him and i and 
they don't let you quit your job. <laughs> like you can't say that you're going to quit your job. Right. You're like, yeah, I'm going to keep these jobs. <laughs> we did, honestly, you know, for a long time. <laughs> Do that as best we could until we just couldn't sustain it anymore. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Take water. Absolutely. And while you do that, I'll, we'll work up a few more questions. Mm -hmm. So um, now that you've been in this for a while, there's expansion. There's there's all of the, you know, the the uh, the cool little extras like getting to go to Europe and doing, you know, just that whirlwind two weeks and all that. Mm -hmm. So who's your biggest competitor in all of this? I don't know. That's I mean, that's tough to say. I guess you could get specific on like. Um, if we had a specific pizza competitor and if we had a specific brewery competitor, but in Beaumont, there's really not enough of either. Mm -hmm. One, Beaumont doesn't have a brewery mm -hmm. for the city of its size. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. We have um, Struggle Street now in downtown, like on Calder. Mm -hmm. um, Poor Brothers is no longer open anymore, but there's not a you know regional size brewery that can support something like that, you know, the size of Beaumont, that mm -hmm. is 10 times the population of Nederland. Mm -hmm. And we don't have enough pizza places for Beaumont either. We have, you know, Italian restaurants, we have Mellow Mushroom, we used to have Crown Pizza, but we just don't have enough places to really give Beaumont what it deserves. That's what we just mm -hmm. keep saying. It's like Beaumont is underserved. There's so many people in Beaumont that are driving to Lake Charles every weekend, driving to Houston for a date night, you know, for mm -hmm. dinner and drinks at a place that you know, they don't go three times a week already. Hmm. There's just not enough serving Beaumont. So, so if I there's mean, not enough, that kind I mean, of only leaves just a hole in the market. Yeah. Yeah. You really? compete against yourself. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. Also, like, <laughs> what could compete with us? We make our own. Exactly. Yeah. You created yeah. the market. Yeah, we made it. So, mm -hmm. and that's the idea. And, and that's where he was going with the yeah. question is the majority of people who sit where you're sitting. That's what they say. And you you said it. You were just working your way to it. But yeah. no one competes against you. Yeah. You fail or succeed yeah. on your own merits. Mm -hmm. Not because anyone else beat you, but because yeah. you constantly strive to do better than you did the day before. Yeah. The only thing That's is it. like maybe pizza. Like maybe somebody likes the other type of pizza. I mean, I love Neapolitan style pizza. That's not what I make. But, you know, one day maybe I'll have a beautiful wood fire oven and I can do that myself. But, you know, for what I do for Buxton is just a different type of pizza. Mm. So I guess I can get specific with that. No, you did fine. Uh, you did perfectly fine. It seems to yeah. be like all along the way, you yeah. just, just competed with your own, fulfilling your own dream. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and and really, at the end of the day, we compete with ourselves. Yeah. I don't really compete with other people. Yeah. You, you, the two of you and your team put out the best possible you know, compilation of product and 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 service right. and people will choose or not. Yeah. And there's a there's a statistic that I would always use. I'm going to butcher the numbers, but I'll give you all an idea of it that I would always use in like our um, PowerPoints that I would show for like economic stimulation for the city of Nederland and um, for the SBA and everything that how much human beings have always evolved since we figured out how to make alcohol to have a third place, right? You know, you have work, you have home, but you need that third place. Mm. With breweries, there's so much less of a stigma of, you know, if you go to a bar every day, well, then you're a bar rat. But if you go to a brewery every day, no, it's different. You know, it's- Yeah, it's a restaurant, everything. It's yeah. Really friendly, it's just beer. You know, it's not like you're taking shots there and getting wasted. Like, mm. this is not that vibe. Mm. Um, so from the founding of the United States, until prohibition, when the population of the country stayed under like 8 million. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, 
when it was really, really small, mm-hmm. I believe that we had like 1,700 breweries in the United States because wow. it had to be in such close proximity that you can get to with like your horse and buggy. Yeah. So there was a brewery for like every like 49 adult males in the United States. Obviously, we get to prohibition. There's zero. We did not, as a country, get back to that number until 2014 when the when the country's um, population was, you know, in the billions. We did not recover from when when we had 10 times the population. That's almost 100 years later. Until 2014. Wow. Yes. I had no idea that. But because people crave this watering hole, this third place, Mm -hmm. that it's the ultimate farm to table, that your beer is brewed right there and served to you right here. This is not something that you can just, you know, which you can grab ours at the store, but it's it. It makes it so much more personal. It's yeah. this like sense of city pride too, like how involved we are in the community and like how many partnerships that we do. You know, we've never said no to anything charitable. Like anytime people need us to set up and give out beer for free, like we are happy to be there and do it for free always. I think you just said something huge and you may not even realize it. That third place, mm-hmm. they're seeking a place of community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what your place offers. Yeah. Uh, this place of community where they're not being judged, yep. where they're able to relax, be themselves, make friends, see old friends, you know, that whole thing. Yep. And that's amazing. That's where the word pub came from. It's public house. Yeah. And so a brew pub, the type of license that we have is short for brewery public house. How it evolved. It was a public house that people went to that, you know, it was mostly women brewers at the time, you know, in the 1800s and stuff that'd be in the back yeah. of a house that they open up publicly to brew the beer and serve to whoever needed to come at the end of the day, right before they came home, get food, get a loaf of bread, get a couple of beers. I mean, shoot, our constitution was written in a pub. Like, like essentially, <laughs> like I got to go when my, my sister lived up in Alexandria, Virginia for a little while down there. And there is a little pub that we'd go to in downtown Alexandria that like George Washington would go to every day. And they have all these little placards around the house of like the type of beer he wrote down his own beer recipes at Mount Vernon. They found his old wow. make his own beer too. have oh, that make their own beer there, too. And it was it's so neat. I mean, our country's founded on it. I had no idea. That's it's that, in all of us. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is. It's it's in our DNA, our American DNA. Yep. Yeah. It, to, you know, not just enjoy beer, but to collect publicly. Yep. <laughs> That's what we do. Yes. Yeah. And, and it, it, yes, and you can go back even to uh, to the beginnings of even Scripture. And that was one of the, the pros and the punishments. And one of the punishments for, uh, and we'll just go back to Cain and Abel, the reason his punishment was, you're out of the community. And he reacted to God. He goes, oh, that's more than I can bear. And I've, I heard Jordan Peterson talk about that one time. He said, you read into that. He said, he didn't, he didn't give him what he gave his brother. He gave him the door. You're out. And he said, that's more than I can bear. That That's basically what he was saying. You're taking away my community. Mm-hmm. So we're bringing it back. Yeah. We're bringing it back. I know. Isn't that cool? That is cool. Back to community, uh, your community in specific. Mm-hmm. You talked about how uh, brewers are, it's a very close, very like loving, sharing, sharing community. Uh, and, and you're a, a very committed member of that community. What mark do you want to leave on your industry? What is your legacy? What are you going to, what do you think, or what do you strive to leave behind? Remember you said earlier that 
your your uncle died mm -hmm. and they heard all those things said about him. Yeah. What do you want to be said about you? Oh, I have my answer locked and loaded on this because this is my absolute life's work. And I tell you this all the time. I, the one change that I wish that, I hope that I'm helping in the United States and everything is the way that we view the hospitality industry as not being a career. It is absolutely a career. Absolutely. I agree it's with that. Absolutely yeah. a career. But it also takes, you know, a level of education and really seeing all the back end of it. Here, it's always like, oh, you're bartending, you're doing this. Well, what about next? Oh, you're in school, so you're bartending. Oh, you're doing this, so you're waiting tables. I have built my business to make sure that if you want this to be your career, it's as big or as small as you want to take it. We offer great health insurance, cover their dependents. We have 401k for every single person, full-time or not, with matching. We have time off. We have you know time for family. We have all these other fringe benefits, too, that we do to try to change the stigma in Southeast Texas and the United States, really, that like this can be a career for you. And you don't always have to work these late nights and these crazy hours right. and stuff. You know, there's a balance so that you can be there for your family. You know, we might require a couple nights a week if we have special events and stuff for people that have been with us for a long time. But why wouldn't you want to be there? Like those are those kind of things where you're like, no, I want to be at work. If any of my people aren't working, you know where they are? They're at Buxton. They're hanging they're out. Just there hanging out. Like they're all there anyway. So they're like, might as well be making money. Right. I've never had issues, you know, getting yeah. somebody yeah. to cover a shift or anything. But especially spending all that time in Europe this year, you know, you see how they act in, in Vienna. We were in Austria and stuff. These, these men, they go to school to learn hospitality. And then the way that they come back and serve you with like such pride and it is so highly respected to like be doing what they're doing. Yeah. And especially the ones that are in like Cologne, Germany and Dusseldorf that serve the specific style of beer, like Kolsch beer and um, alt beer. It is, they have a special uniform. But it's prestigious. It's so prestigious. It's yeah. so highly respected of what they do. And the youngest one that I probably saw the whole time that we were there is maybe 40 years old. And wow. Yeah. That is a while. Yeah. I, I've got a huge follow-up question. Yeah. Did you bring a couple applications? <laughs> we have because we, an employment tab on buxtonbrewing.com. <laughs> you can fill out your information. And whenever we get to hiring next month, we are sending out some emails about um, further questions before we start interviewing. So you're okay with hiring a couple of past 40 guys, you know, that might, you know. <laughs> we have a whole thing. Hey. I mean, you sound so passionate. I mean, it's hard, um, to, it's hard to avoid that care. That care is contagious. You know, yes. Yes. No, that is beautiful. I, lo I love the the uh, ambition uh, to leave the legacy, to change the perception. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. If yeah. we can affect people's perception, we'll affect the experience and beyond. Yeah. And, okay. Yes. Most of my people that are there now, too, have college degrees. Like they've gone through these years of kind of like this guilt, you know, whether it's that their parents didn't know that they were putting this guilt on them of like, you have a college degree. Why don't you have a real job? And they're like, this is a real job. Like, yeah. look, and I, and then I'm working against that to try to prove to them that it is. And, you know, they've never been happier. Well, it's tough too, happy. because the area we're in is so industrially, yeah. mentally, that's what we think. We think, yeah. well, you're going to 
you're going to go to school and you're going to go to work at the plant. Yep. That's mm-hmm. what you're going to do, right? Yep. We've talked about that on the show. Or some other cliche path. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's part of the reason earlier when we were talking about when high school, you know, was wrapping, uh, what was next? That's the reason I ask it that way. Because clichely, if we're standing in amongst a bunch of kids in the bleachers, they go, well, you know, well, where are you going to college? Yeah. Well, that that is not the ideal yeah. question. The ideal question is what's next? Yeah. I just told a young man that yesterday. I said, you know, what will be next? He's a senior. What will be next for you? And he picked up on it. He did not mention the C word. He started mentioning industries. I go, there you go. Yeah. Because follow that passion. And that's and and you will get there. Yeah. I always wanted to do cosmetology, but then I dealt with the self guilt of like, you know, had my college paid for. I had all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh, but, you know, cosmetology is a backup thing. And so, but then what did I do after all these years of all these other jobs? I got all these degrees, but all I wanted to do was go back and do that. And I did way later when I had to pay for it. (laughs) But I mean, yesterday I saw, um, you know, they do those mock interviews for high school seniors where they need people from all these industries to come in and help interview them and everything. And it's a person that I actually know. And they and like they're regulars at Buxton and they know what we do there and, you know, posted this whole list of people that they still needed. 50 industries probably listed and not a single one had anything to do with restaurant, hospitality, brewery, nothing. And I'm like, you know, like we should at least be coming up on a list like that. You would they, think. Mm-hmm. But because they really did focus on a lot of like trades, too. They were like, you know, welders, scaffold workers like, you know, I appreciate that they did all that. But I'm like the biggest one, you know, during pandemic when we were shut down. Who were y'all clamoring for? Y'all wanted your restaurants back open. You want your right. bars back open. That's right. Food and beverage is never going anywhere. People will never need to not eat and drink. Mm. We will always have to do that. Always. And we will always want to gather, gather publicly when we do that. One of our acquaintances, and I won't do a name, but maybe we'll have him as a guest mm-hmm. one time, uh, has shifted his his whole philosophy of his, he, he was a caterer. Mm-hmm. He has now shifted that to consulting mainly for the same reasons that you're mentioning, is that that people are missing an opportunity to have uh, incredible lifelong experiences. So he's starting to talk to folks more in your role as owner operators and managers um, to create an environment where that can happen. And there's other things too, marketing and what have you, but when it comes to their team, uh, is uh, recruiting these people who uh, are gonna have this perpetual uh, experience for a career. Yeah. And we were, he and I were chatting about that the other day. And I said that, and I thought of you, that's why you were invited to be a guest. Cause I, I think Gabby's got the philosophy. And uh, so it's going to be pretty cool to see if he too can have that influence on the yeah. industry. Cause you're doing it for sure. Yeah. So yeah. Being forthcoming and sharing with your information that's worked for you. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. But I, I, I don't know. I just I love the idea. I love the passion. I hope we can even be a part of it too. Just not only even off the air uh, to uh, help change that perception. Because if it didn't make the list of fifty, then obviously there's a brokenness there that mm-hmm. needs to be fixed. Uh, because uh, the, the, these things can be not only personally profitable, uh, but you know financially they can have a whole career like these forty plus year olds in Europe, and they will do this until yeah. they can do whatever version of retirement they. May want to call it yeah you know which is pretty cool yeah yeah thank you for that i appreciate that so we need to reframe the perspective around the hospitality industry yes and i i agree with that yeah that's beautiful that is. so i'd like to shift just a little bit i'd like to do something with you that we've never done with another guest okay okay not because we wouldn't just because you're the first of your kind first that we've been able to bring on our show and we appreciate you so you're a brewer you have some specialty products 
that you don't find anywhere else uh-huh. in their exact form. Yes. So if you would, tell us all what kinds of beer you sell. Well, we have a little bit of everything. Okay. Um, ales and lagers. Um, we brew. We like to say that we are purists about everything. <laughs> we want to brew beer that the average drinker is going to enjoy. So Good. if you've had nothing but Michelob Ultra or something, that is such a challenge to a brewer too. To brew something that clean and that clear and that consistent every single time, that's nothing that we've ever turned our nose up at. So, you know, our flagship beer, our Easy Breezy, um, it's a blonde. And it actually- Oh, right here. Same yep. one you brought with you. Yep. So that's always our sellingest beer. And it has been from day one. Even though we have brewed lagers that are lighter than that, this one's an ale. Um, people will always go back to this one. It has that little, little tiny bit of honey sweetness from the malt, but um, not too much. It's just, you know, back to the drinkability. It's so drinkable and you just want a second one. It doesn't dry your mouth out, anything like that. Um, and then our strawberry right here, just a hint of strawberry. It's not fruit on the end. Our fruit is added before fermentation. So I always just say it's a suggestion of strawberry. It's just a little bit of strawberry sweetness that we add to that one too. Um we are highly influenced by truly German beers. Um, we love German Pilsners and um, super influenced by uh, Belgian beers as well. So um, the Mute is another Belgian beer that we have. That's the one in the middle for those of you looking. It's a Belgian Saison. Um, we love the originals. You know, those are those breweries that have literally, I mean, you can't even say stood the test of time because they were established in like 1112 right. and they have never closed their doors. That's like, awesome. They have continued being open. Wow. So, especially when we were in Bamberg this year, you know, these breweries were joking by the end of it because some of them, the newest ones in that city, Bamberg is this incredible city that never got destroyed in World War II. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's, like you can barely drive in it it's just so so cool um so it's preserved these breweries like the newest one was from like 15 something oh so wow we're like joking we're like oh this is so new school like you're <laughs> this is so modern yeah. Yeah. Like, that is when you know christopher columbus is sailing over like this is like parts of history that like I cannot believe these two things were happening at one time, and I'm sitting so in crazy. A yes, making the same types of beers as they were making five, six hundred, a thousand years ago. Wild, that and is wild. Actual test of time. So we like to focus on that, and that was the big focus in um, the European Brewers Conference this year because they also had the head of the uh, Craft Brewers Guild in the United States come out, and they did a panel with the head of the European Brewers Union. Um, where they just kind of had this conversation of like, why do you think all these breweries in the United States are closing down now? Because there, of course, were a lot of problems post-pandemic, but there was this huge trend in craft beer for so long in the United States of just them doing these crazy beers and these, you know, super triple chocolate chip <laughs> milkshake stout with like, you know, these IPAs that have like sprinkles in them. And they. I was going to get to that. I was going to ask you about this IPA stuff. Like, sure, there was a trend and there was a time for that. And like, yes, we've done, you know, some little catchy beers when we were close to the pandemic. We can only sell to go. You know, I made a pickle beer like I did <laughs> things to, you know, get attention. But our focus has always been on the drinkable beers, the clean beers, true to style 
and you know stick to the basics and just be pick something and be the best. You know? I love that. Yeah. Again, be the best. And I'm going to point out something that may be obvious to you because it's you know you're in Nederland, but Nederland has this festival every year called the Heritage Festival, and you guys are carrying on the tradition of World Heritage beers. Every that year is amazing. Heritage Festival, we brew a lager yeah with um like dutch influence czech influence it's called neater lager what and, ah. and the whole can of it is like all these different motifs from nederland we have the tulips that's amazing see the pug dressed with like the nederland with the little dirndl with the, her little pigtails and stuff you know all of this like nederland heritage things um to like talk about the dutch heritage in nederland because it really is so interesting like it is this little tiny town in texas that was a truly dutch settlement yes some of the family's still there and it's yeah. so neat we have a heritage society like people don't recognize how cool that is i have perspective because i didn't grow up here and i'm like y'all are so lucky oh, you're wasting like, it yeah it's like oh i thought it was just like you know this free festival that we had every year i'm like no like y'all have an actual dutch heritage here and it's yes. so cool yes so yeah we we brew a beer for that every year uh, that's amazing i love the tribute uh awesome. september october we do a bucktoberfest every year what which is an oktoberfest all marzen or oktoberfest beer or marzen really um, lagered, you know, perfectly clean, crisp, and um, we'll be having a festival for it next year. Well, and I, I, I know for sure a couple of years ago, I only presume this year because I wasn't able to go to the Oktoberfest here in Beaumont. Mm -hmm. Did, were you guys the, oh, yes. the, the featured uh, product? So they do a great job of um, sourcing, you know, like good German beers and stuff there too. Mm -hmm. But yes, we have our own line mm -hmm. in the beer tent. Okay. And you know, it's such a good feeling to watch that line. I mean, we went through 14 full-size kegs that day. Wow. Each keg having over 100 beers in it. Mm. And that's just us with all these other, you know, world-class breweries. So it's really exciting seeing that picture. Yes. We got to stack them up like a pyramid at the end of the day. And uh, I was with them and see how much beer we had gone through in just a couple hours. Wow. It's really neat to I be know recognized I went with to, that. Uh, to two years ago again i wasn't in town for this particular year and uh it the limes out the tent mm -hmm. and that was just for you guys yeah i don't know who else was around but i was like so it was pretty cool when i got up there and all your bucks and people were there i'm yeah. like i know these people it's awesome to see yeah. it yeah so then, oh i'm sorry go ahead with like you know to brag on justin a little bit too like with what an incredible brewer he is and how scientific he is um when we had opened so there's you know the big three beer competitions in the world um, one of them, you know, World Beer Cup, uh, I won't remember them right now, but within just a few months of us having been open, and it's like a lifelong dream, you know, if we won a silver medal one time, he won a gold medal and a silver medal are within like three months of us being open. Wow. Our medal cabinet now of what he has won, because we'd enter these as home brewers and I was, oh, we, we, he'd win everything, like, you know, all this. I'm like, okay, well, maybe they're just like, being nice but you know they're not so much huh? we're getting all this feedback like professional feedback from you know people who know what they're talking about having friends over of course they're going to say that the beer tastes good it's free beer <laughs> so then you know we're getting you know real notes from these people that are cicerones which is like a sommelier yeah for beer mm -hmm. and um we're like wait no we can actually do something with this justin got them skills huh yeah, yeah buddy and like let me tell you this man eats sleeps dreams beer like if he's not making it he's researched like he lives for this 
I mean, he couldn't be here today because he's making beer. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but that, yeah. I think that's a calling. That's what yep. that's awesome. Is. Oh no, and he's I mean, following the, it. The, wow. the medals now that we have, like up there, it's it's absolutely incredible to see Good and really you. get that feedback from those professionals, like going against these beers across the world, like people right. that invented these styles. That's amazing. And he's perfecting it. It's so cool to see. So uh, where can people? Do you have? Um, can they buy your your beer in the store? I mean, where can they all? So our tap room is going to have your largest selection. Pretty much everything that we have on tap, we'll have in cans out of our tap room. Our largest partner is HEB. Okay. So um, HEB, Beaumont, Nederland, Lumberton. We have quite a few HEBs. Um, Reds Liquors around town. Um, Market Baskets. In Mid County, you know, Port Natchez, Nederland, a couple in Beaumont, um, the Speedy Stop. I mean, we're we're in a ton of liquor stores. We have like over a hundred different places mm-hmm. on tap. You can enjoy um, some of the smaller kegs that we don't release in the Kansan store at JW Patio, Jay Wilson's, Carabo, uh, yeah. Five Under. Um, yeah, I mean, there's tons of partners. So y'all ask for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, throw your name. Buxton. I was giving you a shameless plug. And you're in the Beaumont or Southeast Texas area. Ask for yes. What Buxton beer do you have on tap? Yeah. Yeah. That that was your chance, and you know, I didn't I didn't feel <laughs> you up well enough, and I apologize for that. <laughs> yeah. So we're getting close to the end now, and there's a question that I ask every guest. Sometimes Chuck asks it, but he missed it. I got to do it first. Yeah. So if you could go back in time. And speak to your younger self. Give yourself a message, okay, that would help you or impact you moving forward in life. And let's say you go back to your 15-year-old, maybe 17-year-old self. Let's say before Tal. Okay. Before Tal. So that would be 15 probably, Mm -hmm. right? What would you tell yourself? I'd say probably don't drag your feet as much when you have that gut feeling. Because that's kind of been the common theme of every time I've had a gut feeling. It's taken me a long time. It's taken me a very roundabout way of getting back to it. When I always knew like what I wanted to do at the beginning. But no, I have this guilt or, you know, I need to make other people happy. So then I do all these other things when at the end of the day, three years later, I'm like, I should have just done that three years ago. So believe in yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That seems like a very common theme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to say when things pay off, but even if I had failed at some of them, you know, I don't do hair anymore. Obviously, I don't have the time for it. I still, you know, love that side of my life. But this is, you know, what I'm focusing on now. And That's amazing. It's perfect. Yeah. Don't drag your feet. Don't, Just don't drag your feet as much. Yeah. So the follow up to that is taking it on a broader in a broader sense. Uh, if you were talking to someone else who was on the cusp of growing up, mm-hmm. maybe venturing out, what might you tell them? I mean, you've taken the risk. You've done the thing. Yeah. Here you are. What might you tell someone who who is aspiring? My answer to that always is like much more methodical is get it on paper. You need an ironclad business plan. And like, you know, it's not just this dream. It's not just, oh, I have investors and stuff. That dream's only going to get you so far. And while we were building this brewery and they always say, all these other people that built breweries, take your budget and double it. We just really sit back and we're like, we have accounted for everything to the dime. If we need to double our budget, we messed up really bad somewhere. And we never did. You know, we've never ran into that. We've always come in under budget. Like we had 
extrapolations for if it's a Tuesday and we're at 80% capacity and people are drinking one beer an hour and half a pizza per person, like what would our profits look like year over year for the next three years? Like it is once you get your data and you're like putting it into spreadsheets and there's so many great free resources with the small business center out of Lamar Port Arthur. And that can also help you in Beaumont too. They can help you build, build that business plan from scratch. Yeah. If y'all need help with it or books or just, you know, YouTube videos or anything like that, but you have to have it written down perfectly. And that has, I think that truly made the difference with us is that we spent so long on that plan. So that whenever we did meet with these banks and these, you know, insurance agents and all these other people who's going to listen to these two kids that like we don't have anything to our name like we both have other jobs but like give us a couple hundred thousand dollars and see what happens <laughs> and they did they did with no they would keep telling us they're like we've never done an sba 7a loan when y'all have no experience and we're like mm. but we had a great business plan so when you always have that to fall back on i mean i still reference it and that was we started that almost seven years ago and i still reference it for certain things it was like 64 pages and I share that with anyone who asks. That's awesome. I send that to everyone. Right. And then I had a business expansion plan too. Mm. That was so much easier when I was going for the expansion. Mm -hmm. You know, that loan was six times what the original one was. So that was crazy. You know, yeah. It's not like we paid off the first one. We're asking for this insane thing for the second one. So it was, you know, you got to have something yeah. to fall back on that's ironclad. It so sounds like it's not as dreamy and romantic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're good. Like, no, mm, yeah. you got to go back to the basics. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like that, that, that is the, uh, for you guys, at least, and probably for everybody, anybody who would, it's the system that channels the energy yeah. is that plan. Yeah. And if you got a system, call it a plumbing system or electrical system, whatever, that's where the energy is going to go. Mm -hmm. And, and obviously you guys worked it, matured it to the point where you, you could see it, probably have it almost memorized if you were really to sit down and close your eyes uh, because you just, you 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 nursed it so much until yeah. it became its own entity. And so all your energy is going that way. You mentioned earlier about, you know, just keep calling out to the universe. And uh, that is a systematic thing. We just keep saying this over and over. How can I manifest something if I don't fully understand it? Yeah. So I think that me having such a great understanding of like, our numbers need to look like this. I need to sell this many beers a day and I need this kind of workers because I put it on paper. That helped me manifest it because I was like, it's on paper already. I've already put it into the universe. I've already right. told people I'm doing it. So it was always something for me to go back to of like, not just an idea. No, I put it on paper. This is how much I need to make. You created it yeah. before it became... Yeah tangible yeah that's awesome and then not only that but there are times inevitably even though you are so full of passion so full of energy and so committed to your direction there are times inevitably where you get tired and in those moments you have a piece of paper telling you your direction reminding you this is why i am where i am and going where i'm going 3 a.m i'm like Am I insane for doing this? Should I build a second location? So then you pick up that piece of paper. So I look at the look at the trajectory. I'm like, okay, we're fine. We're fine. And it gives and you that yes. Through one more day. Eight months. It gives you that concrete source of rejuvenation yeah. that you can say, I believe in this because yeah. that. At the end of the day, every business has to make money. It has to be profitable Absolutely. one way or another for it to continue existing. And these are all the necessary evils of it, but I love that idea of using it as motivation. Yeah. Yes. Well, I would bet that you've already done it. You just probably didn't think of it that way. It's a, it's a, say, it's a, what's it called? 
security blanket. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I submitted these numbers and signed off to them. You've got 64 pages of your quilt. You yeah. could have it all like put on cloth yeah. and make a quilt out of it and like cover up with it at night. There you go. Keeps uh, warm. Well, from this side, I, I'm very honored that you've come on with us today. Uh, I've, I've, it's been a great pleasure. Uh, I've loved hearing your stories about your travels and about your community, about your, it's it's basically like a, it's a family. Uh, uh, the brewers and, you know, the others that are similar to you. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. I had no idea. I've learned a lot today. I love and that. You're from a and brewery family. Yes. No, but I learned about, about <laughs> this, this, this is a whole different yeah. aspect. Chuck, do you have any other Questions? Uh, not questions, but just uh, comments. Thank you, Gabby. Thanks for coming on. Uh, and uh, and thank you for being dedicated to developing everything that you have, not only inside yourself, but then you uh, you shared that. Now you're you know you and then you and Justin, and then now your whole uh, work family. And uh, I think people are going to glean a whole lot because I'm sure there's people sitting out there that they have an idea, they have a passion, they're sitting in their room right now, maybe they're writing songs or something, and have no idea that these things can fully come to life. Yeah. And uh, here you are, less than a decade in, and it's it's happening. And and I really appreciate that. I knew we would get that from you, but I just mm -hmm. wanted to hear you say it because uh, there were details I didn't even know, and you and I've known each other for a bit. Yeah. And uh, and I just appreciate you. Thank you so much. And what a difference you're making and you're going to make a difference in that hospitality world people will know in near in probably near future that near this future. is something people can uh, can pour into for life yes. and so very kind yeah and so thank you for all of thanks for coming thank you for all of it well is there anything else you'd like to add before we close nope um i mean we'll be hiring soon talked about you know anything that y'all are interested in our website is buxtonbrewing.com on there, we still have like our sponsorship opportunities. If you want to put your business logo or name or something on a table or a stool or anything at our new location, uh, we have some huge ones on the tanks, like where we do the brewery tours. Um, we have some mug club spots still available. Uh, you can fill out the information for employment on there. What about catering and events? Do you do any events? We about? don't do that yet. Okay. Um, in our Beaumont location, we are building a private room. Okay. There will be a private room there. And eventually on the website, you'll be able to fill out the information for that as well. That's but, fine. Um, I won't be booking any of those until once we get that like full opening date. What's Just your ETA on that? Yeah. Looking like mid-March right now. Okay. So we need these temporary permits that we can start getting the brewing operation going. Is, you know, what's worse than having a grand opening and you run out of beer. Can't do that. Yeah. So um, we need to get it enough beer in those tanks to um, last us through opening and keep going. So the second that we get some of those permits that we're waiting on, a couple of other things that are going, but that brew house has been the priority first, you know, getting that side of it ready. And yeah, hopefully we're just about six, eight weeks out. Very good. Crunch time. Well, thank you again for being our guest. It's been a privilege. Chuck, is there anything else? No, thank you. Well, everybody out there, thank you guys for joining us again here at Pursuit of Purpose. And thank you for allowing us to become a part of the pursuit of your purpose. Again, I'm Robbie. I'm Chuck. And today we've had with us. Gabrielle. And we all hope you have a great day. Thank you very much.